Thanks for joining us on the Father's House Podcast, where we are leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Want to learn more about us? Check us out online at thefathershouse.com. We'd love to stay connected. Now, let's go to this week's message. Well, good morning. It's so good to see you. Wow, what a great worship time. Uh, thank you for being here today. If I haven't told you lately, I just want to tell you how much I love you. How much I appreciate you being here, and we welcome our online church. I was just scrolling through and see all the people that were on. Great comments. Thanks for watching today. Father's House, would you welcome our online church that's watching with us today? We're so blessed. We're so honored. Andrea, I was just thinking a few minutes ago, I didn't say this in the first service, but just talking about toilet paper, you just be thankful for toilet paper. When I was in India years ago, back in the jungle, they brought a finger bowl full of water out to the outhouse. Shall I say any more? All right, we're in this series we're going to finish today called I Didn't Say That. Small things to be thankful for in life. So we're going to finish out this series, I Didn't Say That But The Lord. Hey, let me encourage you every week, join us in our Version Bible study, Bible reading plan. You can go to our Father's House uh, um, website and scroll down through there and you'll see the Version Bible reading plans. Sign up for that. We're right now in one that's called uh, number two of Who is Jesus? Discovering Jesus because this year we're spending all of our time trying to discover who he is and everything about him. So I really encourage you to do that and then make comments. Join us in that time. So today we want to finish this series. If you haven't been here, I would encourage you to go back and uh, check the different ones that we talked about and what God said for us. And uh, I want to pray for us today, okay? Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you today for your love to us. We thank you, God, that we live in a country that we can worship you in freedom and in truth. We thank you, Lord, for uh, everyone that's here today and those that are watching online And Lord, as we've been walking through this series, I didn't say that, looking at things that you didn't say that we just sort of take for granted that happened. And Lord, we we finished this series out today, and as next week, we start a brand new series on the summer stories that you told of parables. So we just ask you to be with us today. We praise you. Anoint me today, Lord. Help me to hear what you would have for me to say today and say that and not say anything you don't want me to say. And give us revelation and understanding in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let me ask you a question. What if at 1 p.m. this afternoon, Jesus called you in for a time with him? He brings out the chair and he asks you to sit in the chair. And I mean, for real. You're going to be face-to-face with Jesus. Now, in light of the, the life that you've lived this week, what would be your emotion? Excited? Fearful? A little bit of feeling guilty because you didn't, wasn't quite there? Maybe... Uh, Maybe some shame because you knew he saw everything and knows it all. And the second question, what would he say to you? In your mind, you know, I know we have those spiritual things like, well, he would say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well, maybe for some. 
But for most of us, when I said, what would he say to you first? There's a plethora of words that came to your mind. In a recent survey that happened in the United States from people in middle school all the way through high school, all the way to adults, the question was asked, if Jesus were to meet you today, what would he say to you? Do you know what the overall words were? Over, I mean, from middle school to adults. It were phrases like this. If Jesus were to say something to me today and I was in the chair, he would say to me, I'm so disappointed in you. I had greater hopes for you. You call yourself a Christian and you act like that? What? Why haven't you tried harder? Why are you doing the things that I want you to do? Wow. I think a lot of us struggle with feelings like that. It's sort of like there's a soundtrack in, the, in our mind. And that soundtrack often is stuck on repeat phrases like, you know, things that our parents spoke to us, our teacher spoke to us, Maybe a coach said to us, or maybe even a pastor or a church. And we remember those words, I'm so disappointed in you. You can do better. You can do anything right. I, uh, I was thinking about and planning for this series and for this teaching today. As a kid growing up, I really worked hard at trying to please my dad, to have him to say, hey, I'm, I'm proud of you. You did a great job. Really wasn't until my adult life that I ever heard words like there, even heard my dad say, I love you. We was raised in the country, and so my dad was one of those brilliant guys that God gifts so much, gifts him with the ability to navigate between his brain and his hands. My dad could rebuild an engine. My dad could build a house. My, get, my dad could take electronics apart and put them back together. My dad could do all those things. And so well, we lived on a farm, and, and uh, you know, we always were repairing engines. And so I was trying my best to help my dad, and he was trying to teach me. And, and I remember those days just like they were yesterday. And he said, here, take this wrench and twist it and make sure it doesn't slip off. You don't want to round the head. And so what would I do? slip off round the head. And what would he do? He'd grab it out of my hand. Can't you do anything right? It's like between services. One man told me, he said, I was eight years old. I was raised in a, I was going to a Catholic school. The school called my mother in and set me down in a chair. And he said, Sister Regina stood in front of me. She pointed her finger at me and she said, you better watch this boy. He's trouble. He's going to cause you trouble for the rest of his life. And with tears in his eyes, he said, I'm a grown man. But I still hear that soundtrack in my head. Or maybe, maybe it was at church. I read the other day about a well-known pastor in the Northwest that here's how he spoke to his congregation. Just want you to know that God hates you. 
Some of you, he's really frustrated with you. He's been patient. He's tried to help you. He's tried to work with you, and you're wearing him out. And God has suffered long enough with you. Then I read about this youth pastor. He gave all of his students a three-inch nail. And he said, I want you to put that nail in your, in your pocket. And he said, when you say something wrong, when you do something wrong, when you have a wrong thought, I want you to reach into your pocket and I want you to feel the tip of that nail and I want you to puncture your finger and I want you to feel the pain because that's the pain that you're causing Jesus when you sin and when you fail him. You've got to feel that pain and because of your failure, he's so disappointed in you. And then there's the times that we speak to ourselves, right? I'm such a failure. I can never do anything right. What's wrong with me? I can't read. I, I can't do those things. I, I, I can't. I'm just, I'm just. So we hear that soundtrack over and over and over. And the sad thing then is that we transfer those words and that feelings from an earthly relationship to a heavenly relationship and think that surely Jesus would feel the same way about us. And so I know that many of you today, like, like I struggle with that and others that struggle with that, I know some of you today are struggling with those same feelings that he's so disappointed with me. And you walk through life. I mean, you've been a Christian for years, but yet you walk through life with this constant nagging feeling I, I let him down this week. I failed him. And he's got to be disappointed in me. I mean, think how we start our prayers off. We start our prayers off with this whole load of guilt because we feel like we didn't perform the way that he would be pleased with our performance. I know some have walked away from the faith because they really simply in their mind say, I don't believe I can do this. And rather than disappointing Jesus more, I'm going to walk away from church right now because I, I can't, I, I just don't want to disappoint him. And then there are others of us that we just try, we try to work harder, don't we? I want to make God proud. I want to, and so we develop coping mechanisms for dealing, the, we're dealing with the inevitable pain of feeling like we've disappointed God. But here's my question today. Here's my question. Is it even possible to disappoint God? Look at your neighbor and say, can you disappoint God? Do you, do you really think you can disappoint Jesus? And I mean, if you want to think about that, then think about this. In all of your Bible reading, did you ever read where Jesus said to someone, I'm disappointed in you. You've, uh, you, 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 you've, you've really come to me and I, I'm, I'm disappointed in you. I don't think you'll ever find that in the Bible. Disappointment, here's a good definition of disappointment. It's to fail to fulfill the hopes, expectations, or wishes of. To fail to fulfill the hopes, expectations, or wishes of. So in other words, disappointment has to do with if somebody has a wish that something would be different and it's not. They have an expectation that something would be different and it's not. Or they'd have a hope that it would be there. In other words, 
It's all about a person that's uncertain about the future. Understand this. The core disappointment of failure is not meeting expectations. In other words, think about it. If Jesus knows everything, then how can you disappoint him? If we think that somehow that Jesus doesn't know the failures that we're going to... You see, he died for us in our sins knowing that there will be sins in our life. But yet we come today and we've got that feeling that, that I really believe that Jesus would say to me, I'm disappointed in you. You should have read your Bible more this week. You should have witnessed. Remember that time you missed it? You didn't put the whole tithe in today. You just tipped me instead of tithing. And so all of those feelings come on us. I'd like to read together today 18 verses from the Bible. I know that's a lot. That'll wear some of you out, right? 18 verses in the Bible. But I'd like for you to do this with me. If, you, if you're physically possible for you, I'd like for you to stand in honor of the Word. And I would like you to read this passage with me off of the Sky Bible today. Are you ready? This is from Psalm 139. Verses 1 through 18. Are you ready? Let's read it together. Lord, you know everything there is to know about me. You perceive every movement of my heart and soul, and you understand my every thought before it ever enters my mind. You are so intimately aware of me, Lord. You read my heart like an open book. And you knew all the words I'm about to speak before I even say a sentence. You know every step I will take before my journey begins. You've gone into my future to prepare the way. And in kindness, you follow behind me to spare me from the harm of my past. You've laid your hand on me. This is just too wonderful, deep, incomprehensible. Your understanding of me brings me wonder and strength. Where could I go from your spirit? Where could I run and hide from your face? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the realm of the dead, you're there too. If I fly with wings into the shining sun, you're there. If I fly into a radiant sunset, you're there waiting. Wherever I go, your hand will guide me. Your strength will empower me. It's impossible to disappear from you or to ask the darkness to hide me from your presence is everywhere bringing light into my night. There is no such thing as darkness with you. The night to you is as bright as a day and there's no difference between the two. You formed my innermost being, shaping my delicate inside and my intricate outside wove them all together in my mother's womb. I thank you, God, for making me so mysteriously complex. Everything you do is marvelously breathtaking. Simply amazes me to think about it. How thoroughly you know me, Lord. You even formed every bone in my body when you created me in the secret place. Carefully, skillfully, you shaped me from nothing to something. You saw who you created me to be before I became me. Before I'd ever see the light of day, the number of days you planned for me 
were already recorded in your book. Every single moment you're thinking of me. How precious and wonderful to consider that you cherish me constantly in your every thought. Oh God, your desires toward me are more than the grains of the sand on every shore. When I awake each morning, you're still with me. Boy, if you love that passage, would you give him a hand clap? Wow. You may be seated. When I read that passage, he's simply saying, yeah, it all starts in the conception. It all starts there in the womb. You were created intentionally. Nobody is here by an accident. And you were created on purpose for a purpose. That's why we say you should go to growth track. The reason you should go to growth track every first, second, third, and fourth Sunday is simply this. Because in growth track, you discover who God, you help, we help you to discover who God created you to be. You're different than anybody else. And also how to use how God created you to make a difference in this world. I think everybody wants to make a difference in their life. So at 1030, every first, second, third, and fourth Sunday, back in the, in the little room back there off the hall, in the growth track, you can discover who you are. Now, I know we talked about this soundtrack that's in our mind, and we simply say, okay, teach me today how to stop that soundtrack. Let, let, let me help us, because some of you are perfectionists, and your goal is, I want to stop the soundtrack, and I can only be successful if I stop the soundtrack. No more of those voices. Now, no, wait. I don't know that we ever can completely stop the soundtrack. But what we became, what we do is that we become a DJ to our own soundtrack. In other words, I turn the volume down on that track and I turn the volume up from this Psalm 139. I turn down those phrases that say, you'll never amount to anything. You're no good. You're no good. And you'll never make it. And I get our little brochure out there, what God says about you. And it says, I am strengthened and I have power in my spirit. I'm rooted and grounded in Jesus. I've been baptized in him. I, am, I have favor. I have life. He is with me. So I begin to DJ the soundtrack in my mind. If we don't understand our identity in Christ... We'll transfer all of those feelings of disappointment onto Jesus, and we'll never feel that we're good enough. And so what we do as a Christian, we try to get into the perfection mode. I'm going to prove. I'm going to prove that I can be somebody. I know they said I'll never amount to anything, but I'll tell you, I'm going to college. I'm going to make something in my life. I'll tell you, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do something else. And then, and, and, and then we try to prove that, you know, like, whoa, you know, and then we impress everybody. Well, you know, they said I wouldn't amount to anything, but, you know, look at me now. I've got a million followers, and look, I'm changing the world with what I do. And then I went how many times do we transfer that same feeling that I got to prove to Jesus? I've got to prove to Jesus that I am worthy enough for Him to love me. But let's think about that. If Jesus is omniscient, which is a big word for meaning all knowing, that means there's nothing that He doesn't know. 
there's nothing that really surprises him. Right? So that means even before he saved you, he knew what you'd be doing now, and he would know the sins that you would commit. That's hard for us to, to equate, isn't it? Because we know disappointment. Some of us that are parents or grandparents, you know, we have expectation for our kids, things that we want them to do. But then, you know, instead of doing that, they don't do that. And then we are disappointed because they didn't live up to our expectations. And you see, if we don't understand that with Jesus, we're always trying. Well, if I can serve, if I can serve, I know serving is right. So if I can serve then I know he'll, he'll love me and he's not disappointed. I know if I have my Bible reading, then I don't disappoint him. Can you understand that there's nothing that you can do to make him love you more and there's nothing you cannot do to make him love you less? You say, well, that's not fair. That's, too, that, that's just too risky. No, what he's saying is, I want the life that you live to be motivated by the love that I have for you and not that when your daddy gets home, he's going to give you a beating. How many of you remember that one, right? Yeah, I got one, one a day, so that's, that's how I became who I am. That's how come I'm tall. God's love is not dependent on our actions. Yes, your sin has consequences. And if you don't confess your sin, it creates a breach in your relationship between you and God. But listen to me. Your standing as a Christ follower has nothing to do with your behavior. But it has everything to do with what Jesus did on the cross. Look at Romans 5 and 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God sent Jesus to die for our sins, knowing every sin that we would ever commit. Every time that we would miss it. Every time that we would fail him. He knew that, but yet he still died for us. Now we as believers, we can believe that for sinners, right? We tell sinners, just want you to know that, that, that the Lord loves you. And even while you're in sin, even while you're doing these horrible things, he loves you. He loves you. And he wants you to come to him. But then we become a believer. And it's hard for us to imagine that. That his love for me has nothing to do with my performance. But it has to do with his grace. And the completeness of what he did on the cross. He said, so, we're just supposed to live like any horrible thing? No. Uh, that, that living there has to do with how we walk in the victory that we have and how we have the, uh, what's going to happen to us in eternity. But our standing, that I'm a believer, that he loves me, has nothing to do with my performance. has everything to do with him. You see, here's the secret. Jesus is not disappointed in me. He's disappointed for me. Because when I make wrong decisions, it's going to be painful. It's going to hurt. It's going to sting. 
Look at your neighbor and say, Jesus is not disappointed in you. Would you do that? Jesus is not disappointed in you. But sometimes he's disappointed for us because we reap the consequences of what we... I, I think when I look in the Bible and I think of anybody that Jesus could have said, I'm so disappointed in you, I think it would be Peter, motor mouth Peter, <laughs> always in trouble, always trying to say the wrong thing. Do you think that Jesus knew what Peter would do? Sure he did. Even before he called Peter? Sure he did. But yet he still called him. Remember the verse in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 34? Jesus is saying to Peter, Simon, stay on your toes. Satan has tried his best to separate all of you from me, like chaff from wheat. Simon, I prayed for you in particular that you do not give in or give out. But when you come through the time of testing, turn to your companions and give them a fresh start. Peter said, Master, I'm ready to do anything for you. I'll go to jail for you. I'll die for you. And Jesus said, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, Peter, but before the, the rooster crows, you will have three times denied that you knew me. So here's Peter. They arrest Jesus. Peter's standing in the courtyard. Now, Jesus has already told him what's going to happen, right? So he's standing in the courtyard, and, and the little girl comes up to him. You're one of them. No, I'm not. And three times, with cursings and oaths, he denies Jesus. And then one of the gospels says that when the rooster crowed, then Jesus looked at Peter because Jesus was in the courtyard. And Peter ran out weeping and sorrowful because he had become a failure. That he understood that if he had sat down with the chair that Jesus was disappointed. That's what he's thinking. Jesus has disappointed me and I've got to run. I'm going to go back to fishing. That's what he said. I'm going back to fishing. I'm going to forget all this thing about serving God because I don't want to break Jesus' heart anymore. I, I, I've broken his heart enough. Now, think with me. If you were Jesus... And if you were to see Peter post-resurrection, what would you have said to him? Peter, sit down in this chair. We need to talk, bro. What would you have said to him? Peter, I told you what was going to happen. Why didn't you do better? Why didn't you try harder? But I don't read that in the Bible. Here's what I read. Look at this. Mary Magdalene and the other women were there at the tomb after the resurrection of Jesus. And the angel said, Mark 16 and 7, go tell his disciples, especially Peter, that he's going ahead of you into Galilee and you will see him there just as he told you. Now, we, we read that all the time. And it says that, yeah, now he, he's, he's saying to Peter because Peter feels so disappointed. He feels like he's failed God so much. And then we fast forward to John chapter 21. And, and they're out there and they're out there fishing. And Jesus comes along this, the sea 
and he cooks breakfast for them and says to them, hey, do you have any fish? Bring some and I'll cook you breakfast. And then the story is that Peter jumps out of the boat and swims to Jesus. Now, have you ever read that and thought, how could he, with all the guilt, the condemnation, the shame, the feelings of uncertainty, how could it be the quick one to jump out of the boat and swim to where Jesus was? Because he's already had a personal meeting with Jesus before that time. In fact, the Bible talks about it, but even more than the Bible, in the church in AD 30, in the Jerusalem church, Peter publicly told the church in AD 30, I have had a personal appearance with the resurrected Jesus before he showed himself to any other disciples. In fact, Paul confirms that in 1 Corinthians 15, 4 and 5. He says Jesus was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then the twelve. Paul says years later, there's a secret personal meeting that Jesus had with Peter. And you say, well, where's that in the Gospels? Well, Luke 24, 34 says, the Lord was really risen and he appeared to Peter. Now, technically, who was the first one to see the resurrected Jesus? The guards. Look at this. Matthew 28 and 4, for the fear of him, the keepers did shake when they saw the resurrected Jesus, the empty tomb, and they became as dead men. And then you know the story, and the women came to the, came to the tomb. And then after that, before Jesus showed himself to any other disciple, as best as we can understand, he met privately with Peter. Paul said, he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. We don't know where it was, probably Galilee. We don't know how it happened. But why would Jesus do that? Why would he search out Peter? And why would he just give us a little glimmer of that from Paul's writing of the Luke passage? I, I, I'm like you. I would have liked to have known what Jesus said to him. I guess you have to wait till you get to heaven. Because, you see, it was a private, personal conversation between Jesus and Peter sitting in the chair. Peter had to hear the words from Jesus. I'm not disappointed in you, Peter. I'm disappointed for you. But I'm not disappointed in you. My plans for you haven't changed. I'm going to use you greatly. But I want you to know this, Peter. I forgive you. And there's nothing you can do to change that. I forgive you. So no wonder Peter jumped out of the boat and swam to Jesus in John chapter 21. Jesus reestablished with Peter his ministry that he had. Now I'd like for you to think about this chair again for yourself. In light of these scriptures, and in light of what the Holy Spirit is saying to us today, how does that one o'clock meeting change for you? Sort of like this. 
Well, I may not be on my best, but I know this. When I look into his eyes, there'll be no disappointment, but there will be a love that I cannot describe. So how do we work with that? We work with that by resting in him. Here's what the scripture says in Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Are you weary? Are you carrying a heavy burden? Jesus says, come to me. I will refresh your life, for I am your oasis. Simply join your life with mine. Learn my ways, and you'll discover that I'm gentle, humble, and look at this, easy to please. I mean, some of you, you could never please your parents no matter what you did. And you transfer that over to Jesus. But Jesus says, I'm easy to please. When you come to me, you'll find refreshment and rest in me. For all that I require of you will be pleasant and easy to bear. Would you bow your heads with me? Holy Spirit is here today to say this to you. Jesus is not disappointed in you. He loves you. He loves you madly. He chose you to follow him. And there's nothing you can do today to make him love you more or to love you less. God does not dangle his love on a conditional string like a divine marionette. When he looks at you, it isn't a look of disappointment over the things that you've done or haven't done. He sees you perfect with a holy love that we can't begin to imagine, to understand. His work in us isn't finished yet, but he wants to mold us into the beautiful reflection of his son, Jesus. But we have to keep coming to him and not running from him. As you're praying about your place with him today, Maybe there are those of you that are here in the house or those of you that are watching online and you would simply say, you know what, Terry? I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, but I wonder if Jesus would have me. You know, I, I feel like I've come to church a lot of times, but, you know, I, I, I just don't know. I, I don't know about the whole thing. Don't even know if I believe in God or not. Here's what I know. The Bible says, for God so loved us that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus. Jesus lived a sinless life. He died on the cross for your sins and my sins, that we could have a relationship with God. You don't deserve it. None of us deserve it. It's by his grace and his mercy. And the scripture says that if I call upon his name, I can be saved. Regardless of who you are, and what you've gone through. That if I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord, that God raised him up on the third day, that he can become my savior, forgive me of my sins. As that song said, he'll push down a wall, he'll climb a mountain, he'll do whatever he can to get to you to experience his love. If you're here today and you've never invited Jesus into your heart and into your life, or maybe you've gone away from him, but today you say, you know what? I want to be sure that everything is right between me and God. 
I want to be sure that everything is right. And right now the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart. And then you'd say, Terry, would you please pray for me today? Please pray that my heart is right for God. You know, I've been trying to live a life on my own, but I want to surrender my life to Jesus. If that's you today, would you raise your hand and let me pray for you? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out, but just raise your hand. Thank you. There's one, another over here, here, over here. Others today, over here, that's me. Say, yeah, that's me. I want to do that today. I want to invite Jesus into my life. Anybody else online right now with a four, would you raise your hand and say, yeah, that's me. I, I want that today. I want that today. Would you, would you allow me to lead us in a prayer? We all should pray this prayer together. Pray this prayer with me today. Father God, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for my sins. There's nothing I can do to make you love me. You're just love. As best as I know how, I want to live the rest of my life for you. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to walk in your love. In Jesus' name, amen. It's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in your life. We would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps might be, visit thefathershouse.com slash next. Join us next week as we continue to love God, help people, and build the kingdom.